0: Amen. Thank you, Piet. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be together. I thought of, uh, to start off our time together this morning, I want to ask you a a question. And the question is uh, simply this, of all the words used in the Gospels, because that's where we camp as a church at the moment, and we're asking this question, what is Jesus saying to us? And so we've already heard what Jesus is saying to us about a number of things. But of all the words in the gospel, which is the word that is most often used to describe the effect that Jesus had on people? Right? Which one word is used in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, more than any other, to describe the effect that Jesus had on people? Transform is a good uh, contribution here from Maria. Anybody else? Or, who said amazed? Let me just do something right away because that's a fantastic answer. Thank you afterwards. Again, you can hand it over. (laughs) You you deserve that. It's the word amazed and we actually sang about that this morning. Let me give you a couple of quick scriptures just to anchor us around this topic Uh, and I read from the the message paraphrased. Luke 2.47. The next day they found 12-year-old Jesus in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, amazed by the sharpness in his answers. Mark one twenty two. Jesus spent the day there teaching. They were surprised and amazed in his teaching. So forthright, so confident. Matthew 15.31. When the people saw the mute speaking... The maimed healthy, the paraplegics walking, the blind looking around, they were astonished and amazed. My point is, Jesus amazed people. Until today, around the globe, Jesus is amazing to to millions of people around the world. Many of us stand in awe. We are filled with surprise and wonder and excitement and astonishment and admiration. At times, we simply have to shake our heads and walk away. We, we are set back in our heels because Jesus is amazing. And if you are here this morning and He's not amazing to you, well, then you're missing something. Because anyone who has a deep, real relationship with Jesus finds him amazing. But while the scriptures talk of multitudes being amazed by Jesus, it speaks of only one person, one man who positively amazed Jesus. I'm not going to ask you, I've run out of chocolates, right? We're going to read about that man this morning and we see the story in The book of Luke chapter 7, just the first 10 verses, I would love us to go there, It tells a story about a guy called a centurion. Simply a guy who was in charge of about a hundred Roman soldiers. Think of today's term, somebody who's leading or in charge of people or a captain or whatever language you want to use for that. And we pick up the story from verse 1 in chapter 7. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, With him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve you to come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So what was it? About this man, this centurion, that Jesus found so amazing, and i 've got two answers for you. The one is a very brief answer, and the second is where I will focus all of my attention this morning. The first answer is this is that Jesus was utterly amazed at this man's faith in the authority of Christ. The centurion knew that Jesus had authority over darkness over depression, over demons, over disease, over death itself. And so this morning, if you are facing any of those, or anything else, have faith in the authority of Christ. But secondly, the thing that amazed Jesus about this man, and for this we have to work a little bit harder to pull it Out of the text is not that obvious, but was this this man's incredible ability to integrate his faith and his work? And so for the rest of the time this morning, I want to ask this question what is Jesus saying about our work? And before some of you dial out, I'm working, I'm using work in the most inclusive form. Uh, Whatever you do during the day, it may be that you are a stay at home mom, you are working. Let me tell you, with my two girls and their two grandkids, I have fresh admiration for the work rate of young mothers, right? And so we are all working, and so we need to ask this question as inclusively as possible. And I want to say right up front that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, He has some profound things to say to us, radical things to say to us about our work life. Just as he has about anxiety. Just as he has about the place that people go for rest. Two weeks ago, I had to learn that again. I must say, sitting under Peter's teaching. And I've noticed in my life of late, I've run to the wrong places for rest. I had to come back to that. And so Jesus has profound things to say about the way we go about our work. And it's not just that Jesus came to preach the message of salvation and we end up in heaven, folks. That is going to happen. And it's a beautiful thing. But he preached the kingdom of God is here and now, and it should change us from the inside out. And so, what does he have to say to us this morning about work? And Sadly, I've come across too many people, followers of Christ included, who is born into this lie that says that work is the thing that we do to earn some money, so that we can buy or do the things we really enjoy. And I wonder how on earth did we end up there? How on earth have we missed what God has called us to do? If you go back to paradise, Genesis 2, God created the world. He puts man in charge. He says, I want you to work this. I want you to care for this. It means that that God wants us to roll up our sleeves and look at the resources around us and start to work that. Why? Well, for the good of others around us and for His glory. Can you see how big a, a leap we've taken from that commission, that instruction, to reduce it to something so boring and meaningless and empty, saying, I, I want to earn some bucks so I can join myself at the end of the month. Folks, that's not what Jesus is saying to us about our work lives. I hope today Jesus will remind us of how he wants us to approach our work once we have put our faith and trust in him. And this morning I'm speaking to us whether you are looking for a job, whether you have a job, whether you are preparing for a job, whether you are exiting a job, whether you are in the next it doesn't matter. I believe Jesus has something to say to all of us. Now, before I unpack the text, two quick things. The first is, this is common sense, most of life is work, right? I'm sure you would have noticed it by now. If you are fortunate enough to sleep eight hours a day, that gives you 112 hours a week that you're awake. Uh, 40 to 60 hours of that you are going to spend at work, doesn't matter what you do. And what a tragedy it would be, if we limit our faith to evenings and weekends? How would we be selling ourselves short? And the second thing is that we are all in the danger of dualism. Dualism, one of the greatest sins of the church, where we where we divide into the sacred and the secular. Where we think, man, if I go to a prayer meeting or I read my Bible or I lead somebody to Christ or I come to church, God smiles all over my life. But when I do the mundane in the marketplace... Well, he's not that excited about it. There is no evidence in Scripture for that. God is excited about our 24-7 life. Enough said. Let's dive into the, into this passage. And I'm going to try and, and give you six things when we work, when we integrate faith and work. What does that look like? Number one, we're integrating faith and work. You should see it on the screen when we work hard and well. Uh, to have become a centurion in those days, you had to be at the top of your game. You had to be a reliable soldier for some time. You had to prove your worth. You had to be somebody that people would, would look up to and at, at, um, acknowledge that you've been a hard worker. And this man was busy. He was even too busy to come to Jesus. And if you are not confident, convinced that followers of christ are called to to work with a great work ethic i can throw a whole bunch of scriptures at you i've just chosen one it comes from colossians chapter 3 it says this and don't do the minimum to get you by i'm reading from the paraphrase do your best work from the heart for your real master of god Confident that you get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Folks, faith has an aim that we really associate with it. It is competency. Faith is incompatible with mediocrity and script and followers of Christ are challenged in Scripture to raise the bar, not to lower the curve. And nobody will take our ministry serious if we're not serious about our work. How can we even think that we can with integrity start a spiritual conversation where we are known to be slackers? Why would somebody believe you? Why would they, why would they trust you with that? And skills matters to God because excellence is at the core of His character. It is fundamental to who God is. His level of skill is the benchmark. He, is, he made the creation by the pattern of His own character. He is the template by which the cosmos was cut. And because God made you and I in His image, He gave each one of us the ability to choose do our best. And so excellence in our work matters. Our work has the, wor- has the potential to become worship when we give of ourselves every day. Why? For those around us to flourish and for God to be glorified. Jesus was, a, was skill personified. As we've already seen, Luke records that as a young guy, he was known for his wisdom and abilities. He was a very skilled carpenter. He was a consummate communicator. He could hold thousands of people's attention for hours. He was a master teacher. He took a bunch of fishermen in two years, turned them into the most powerful leadership team. A team that would turn the empire of the day on its ear. And you think to yourself, why was Jesus like this? Was it because he wanted to prove that he had what it takes? Was it because he wanted to dominate the carpentry market of Nazareth? And no, it's none of those things. Jesus was skill personified because he wanted to bring glory to God who sent him on this mission. And so God gives us the opportunity to ask Him to come alongside us and to multiply our skills. And when we bring God into our everyday working lives, stay-at-home moms, leaders of businesses, when we do that, the testimony of our work will increasingly have God's fingerprints on it. Skill matters. Working hard and well matters. Secondly, we see from this passage that we integrate faith and work when we appreciate, care for, and serve those that we work with. Uh, The centurion had a hundred men kind of reporting to him. He was responsible for them. And I was just thinking how easy it would have been for him to treat them like uh, commodities, right? Just like numbers. But he doesn't. He values them. He appreciates them. He honors them. He encourages them. He cares to the point that he would go and do anything to help a dying servant, a dying guy on his team. And so for the centurion, the bottom line wasn't just growing shell the value. It was for the benefit of people. We see in verse 8 that this was a powerful guy. He had a lot of power. But he didn't walk over people. He walked with them. And we need to treat those that we work with or the, or the places where we spend most of our days, we need to p- treat people like equal image bearers of God. The founder and former CEO of Visa International, D-Hawk, if ever you get to read of his stuff, it's mind-blowing. He said this, he said, If you don't understand that you work for your mislabeled subordinates, then you know nothing of leadership. You only know about tyranny. And I've come to realize that this does not come automatically to us, right? It doesn't come naturally because we are born bent in the opposite direction. Uh, we've become experts at looking after ourselves. And so we put everything over, uh, through our self-interested grid and we ask How can I arrange relationships and opportunities and even people? What's in it for me is the question that you and I mostly ask. And it often becomes the single criteria. Well, this morning Jesus wants to remind us. He says, I want you to think like the centurion. I want you to think what's in it for others. And this will compel us to get to know people. To ask some questions. Maybe to get to know their wives' names and their kids' names and their birthdays. And to remove this, this distance that can, be, be, that, that can appear between us and those that we work with. It means that we will be having good conversations and we'll, that we will remember those. It means that we will become great listeners, not just great talkers. It means that we will take the time. To figure out how somebody else's project can be approved. How somebody else's bro can be advanced. If you are a uh, stay-at-home mother, how somebody else's child can sleep through the night. And so we need to sharpen our awareness of those people that God has placed us with. Their conditions may vary. I've been freshly aware of this where I find myself. Some people are stripped of self-confidence. Of hope and meaning and purpose and self-worth, some people have been beaten by the competition, by fear of failure, by the pressure to perform. Some people are abandoned; they're lonely; they grip with fear. These are the people that you and I will encounter most days of our lives, and all of us can do this. This is not a function of the role that you play in the business. This has got nothing to do with your IQ where you find yourself on the, on the organizational chart, it's seeing a need and responding to it. We can never be truly converted to God unless we are converted to our neighbor. We got that message loud and clear last week from Ken. If you were not here, listen to it. I was um, in the times when, in the days when performance reviews were still fashionable, I, uh, I was preparing for a performance review with one of the guys in our team, and this guy was um, a few years older than me, he was actually my senior in the business at one stage, doesn't matter, but uh, he had a really rough year, and multiple times throughout the year, I was under immense pressure to let him go. But anyway, we progressed, and and so we we settled in the boardroom and going to start his performance review, and I had kind of... All the power was with me. All the ammunition was with me. And we get into the conversation. And about 30 seconds into the conversation, he he looked at me and he said, Christo, can I tell you about my life? And he began to unpack years of abuse, of neglect, of how all these history came together in the perfect storm. And caused him to become an addict. I listened to him for two hours. And we agreed a plan to change his life. Sent him away for rehab for six months. Paid his salary. Got him back. Gave him a new assignment. Changed life. That's what you and I. We'll encounter when we go about our normal lives now we're either going to walk past that or we're going to do what Jesus asked us to do and we're going to listen and we're going to care and that's the way that we bring faith and work together folks you will have more opportunity between eight and five than you'll ever have to make a meaningful impact on people's lives Thirdly, we see that we integrate faith and work when we find ways to do things that will benefit God's people, right? I just love this this example because we we are told in this passage, what did this, the centurion, what did he do? He built a synagogue. How many of you are going to get a chance to build a church, right? He built a synagogue. He pulled together his resources. He plowed in his finances. And it's actually, if you read the commentaries, it was in Galilee, the very same synagogue that Jesus attended. And so here's my big question for you. Over and above, giving off your finances every month, which that's just, I mean, if you're a follower of Christ and you are not a radical giver, ask God for repentance. I'm, I promise you, I've got no other way to describe it and it's not about percentages it's just a, it's a hard attitude you want to give you want to see the gospel explode we just do it right but over and above that what else do we do what do we do to 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 bring this benefit to help the gospel flourish to help the local church i want to i want to ask you if you get by with a binum, with a minimum why don't you come and speak to these three fine gentlemen, and just ask them a simple question. What can I do to help build this church? May not be in a Sunday morning here, although often there's a lot to be done here, but there could be many, many other ways. And the centurion got this. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to be this power junkie looking after my people, building my empire. I'm going to step out of this, and guess what, I'm going to build a synagogue. I, I would imagine in those days there was quite a challenge. And so, don't aim small, aim high, and God will, God will, God will bless that. We don't live these neatly little packaged, decompartmentalized lives, right? It's often blurry. It's, it's even chaotic at times. But that's great because we are in the trenches with Jesus, and that's what He's asking us to do. If you've settled for less. Ask for more. God will give it to you. And then I just love this point that in difficult times he reached out for Christ's help. Folks, there may be some stuff that we that we're unsure of and there may even be some stuff that we that we doubt. But there's, there's one thing I can absolutely guarantee you where I stand here is that you are gonna run into some storms in your life. I'm not prophesying doom and gloom. I'm stating reality. And for the centurion, the storm that he ran into was the near death of one of his best guys. Stuff will come your way. And the beauty of this example is that the centurion had the option to do what you and I have, the same option. Do we fall back on our own Skill set and experience, and we try and pull it off, and we explore every other option. And as a last minute, oh yes, let's go to God. And He turns that thing on its head, and as sickness strikes, He runs to God. He goes to the authority of Christ. He says, There may be a whole lot of other things happening that I can do, but I'm going to start with Jesus. That's my default setting when storms come. I want to ask you this morning, when storms come your way, where do you go to? To yourself? I do. And then after a while, we realize that it's not going to cut it. It was never meant to cut it. We were never meant to fly solo. I've got one of my former colleagues here this morning, Nick, you may remember this day well, but in our business, we had a um we had a tradition where every year end of the year we we take everybody away for a weekend, husbands and wives, about two hundred people. so anyway, we drive up the coast and we we end up at this place. I was just checking into the hotel and got a call on my cell phone that there was an accident that involved three of our employees and obviously shocked and concerned, but thought it was okay and Five minutes later another call one of them died. And this lady who died, was she was an amazing follower of Christ, served with her husband as a pastor of a local church, a fantastic church, had everything going for them. And the first thought that went through my mind, this, this does not make sense at all. God, how can you possibly stop a ministry of this potency in its tracks, or at least try to derail it? And that day, I discovered that there will be some stuff in my life I cannot handle what Krista had to offer that moment wasn't going to cut it. I got some people together and we started to pray and We went through the whole weekend and it was just it was an amazing time and then after a few months, we hooked up with a foundation that she was very much part of, and we began to put resources into the upliftment for some kids who didn't have opportunity to sh- to, to become leaders. That was the specific angle of our initiative. And over the years, hundreds and thousands of RANs have flown that way. And there are so many testimonies of little guys whose lives have changed forever. Folks, I don't know why that happened. It made no sense to me. But boy When you hit a storm like that, you don't want to rely on yourself. You want to run to God. So we want to be like the centurion. When the storm comes, we reach out for Christ's help. And then, how are we doing? Number five, we integrate faith and work when we cultivate relationships. You, you would have noticed in that little passage where it talks about that the centurion had great friends. And it also talks about the fact that he was friends friend with the elders of the Jews. And so you begin to put the pieces together as you unpack that text and you realize that this was a very influential person. And then I think, man, how come this guy is so influential? And the answer may be way simpler than you and I think. It was It was nothing to do with his skill or his abilities or his talent or his IQ or any of those things. It was that he unswervingly and relentlessly built relationships. If you want to multiply your influence, multiply your relationships. He you got that. Right? And maybe I can just If I have to ask for forgiveness later, I'll do that. But maybe just for a moment, speak to some of those of you who consider yourself to be expatriates here. Because I tell you what, the temptation for us is to come here and to hang out with like-minded people and to build relationships with our buddies, just like we were wherever we came from. Because it's so easy and comfortable and convenient. But Jesus has got our number on this, folks. You are not just here to come and build a great career and build a family. Those things are, don't get me wrong, they're brilliant. But they will sell you short. They are hopelessly inadequate. They will never satisfy you. So you and I need to reach out. And... Elise and I, we, if she was here this morning, I would have loved to, to, to share some of the stories with you. But we have only been here for two years. We've been absolutely instrumental about getting local people in our house. Why? Because we understand that you cannot take a 10-ton message if there's not a bridge for that message. And so we love to hang out in the bars, in Zug, wherever we go. And we meet people and we invite them. And there's a particular young couple that that we've become great friends with. They just had a little baby. They run a, a, a wine bar. They've been in our home. We've been in their house. We've got a WhatsApp group. I don't know what God's plans are for them. But I do know that He wants to use us. And the time will come that we'll be able to share some of our story, which, by the way, is a magnificent, powerful story of grace, which nobody would be able to argue with. And so I'm inviting you to get over yourself, to reach out, to build friendships, even when you don't feel like it. You may say to me, Christo, I'm not an extrovert. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. That makes you an extrovert. Right? And so we bring people together. We, 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 we do everything that we can so that we can come to a place. where sharing what Jesus has done in our lives does not become a dry, threatening, evangelistic exercise. It's the natural overflow of a conversation. Which brings me to the last point, And that is to tell co-workers, or those that we live with during the day, where you find yourself, in the parks, to tell them about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Can you imagine what the reaction of the 99 guys were when the servant was healed. I guess that they were amazed. And we need to understand and we need to believe that God will put you and I in touch with people so that we can little by little point them to the magnificent things that he's done in our lives. That's why we're here. And one of the greatest joys in life is to see people that you've built friendship and the relationships with come to Christ. I think for myself so often I, I see people and I meet people and I think, man, There's no way this guy or this girl is going to come to faith. They are just too rebellious, too sinful, too hard-hearted, too far from God. And then I remind myself what my life looked like. I remind myself that there was someone who prayed for my salvation for 10 years. And I think I'm not gonna be able to handle a no for invitation ten years, my friends. I was calling on a customer for quite a while um it was happened turn out to be a single mom, and I guess after about six months or so um driving to her one day to to hopefully close some business. Anyway, I was driving there, and on my way there, I had the strangest experience, I felt God saying to me, Christo, I know about the work agenda, I will bless it, but today I've got, an, I've got something else for you to do with this person. And I wasn't, I was afraid and scared because, you know, what do you do with that? Anyway, we get into the meeting and we chat a little bit, and by now I've got to know some of the details of her life and teenage daughter. And, but I could see that it was something was troubling her. And at a point in time, I thought, okay, I'm either going to make a complete fool of myself. Uh, in which case, hey, Paul says, that's okay, that's going to happen. Um, and the subject of church came up. And I thought, okay, now's my moment. I'm going to invite her to come to our Christmas meeting, which was about three or four weeks away just did. nothing else, I just said, man, you know, I'm part of a great church, how do you feel, don't you want to come Christmas morning, nine o'clock, and I kind of left it at that, and thinking, okay, I've done my little bit to clear my conscience, she will probably never get close to church, but that's cool, and the Christmas service, I'm sitting in the front row, and we, at the point in time, I turn her back, and I see, there is this person, I thought, man, God is good. And we chatted a bit afterwards, and she said, wow, interesting church. I didn't know churches like this existed. And that was December 25th. In January, we come back after a break, and lo and behold, there she is again. And again. And again. In the meantime, I introduced her to my wife, and they stuck up a friendship. And About six weeks after that, Sunday morning, in front of our church, with tears running down our eyes, gave her life to Christ. Pulled her into our small group. A life changed, redeemed forever. Because of one invitation. Nothing more. Tim Keller, who planted a, a brilliant church in the heart of Manhattan, and who is really a, a great... Thinker around connecting with culture, and now he said that he was pushed for a the TIP to help people come to faith who sits outside of that culture altogether. He says, Make sure that they know that you go to church, and the time will come that you can invite them. Sitting with a client here in, in Zurich recently. And he said to me, it was a Friday afternoon, went for lunch. He said, Krista, what do you guys do over the weekends? I was so delighted that he asked that question. Because I could tell him some of the stuff. And then I said, man, Sunday morning's the highlight of my week. We've got a great church. Ah, you go to a church? What church? Why do you go to church? Driving back uh, on another occasion with one of the guys on our team here, a colleague of mine. Um, It was a Wednesday night. We went to see a client, came back. And we get back to Zook station. He said, hey, Christo, let's go for a beer. And nine times out of ten, I'm absolutely up for that. But on that occasion, that night, we had, um, we had a small group. I said to him, sorry, we, I can't do it now because because of this. I told him, because of this. What? Small group? What's this about? Church? He seriously go to church? Does anybody go to church? The same guy, this week, his little boy. Tumbled down ten steps of stairs. And the first WhatsApp that he sent to me he said, Krista, won't you please pray for my boy? And then he least and I did that and he came back and he said, Thank you so much. You've got no idea what it means to us. People that are far from God, that we're writing off. And God saying, No. No. And so he wants to use us. He wants to remind us this morning that we all have powerful stories of redemption and grace. And He wants to share, whenever the time is ready, with those who don't know Him. And we trust Him for the rest, right? You and I can't save anybody. I can't even save myself. But we trust Him for the rest. And I tell you, in this church... Over time to come, we're going to hear more and more stories. We're hearing those already, by the way, of people coming to Christ miraculously, people that you and I would have written off. And more and more of this will happen as we allow the gospel to penetrate our hearts and out of the overflow live an integrated, one life. No division, no separation. We give God the glory. Work is a magnificent thing. I want to ask you, I want to say to you this morning, if you are hugely frustrated by your work, or you can't find work, or you don't know why you work, work is a good thing. Jesus wants to remind us of that. But it's not to build my empire. It's not to make me look good. It's not for My bank balance, those things are okay. But the biblical motivation for work is to roll up our sleeves and to take all the resources that God has placed among us and work them and care for them in such a magnificent way that he will get the glory and people's lives will change. And you do that and you put your pillow on the head, then Monday mornings become the greatest joy for you Not a hard slog. Let me pray for us. Let's stand together. Father, as we come to you this morning, we so aware that we come to you as people that don't have it all together. In some cases, we are even broken. And yet, Lord, we can never disqualify ourselves to come to you because of what you have done for us and that you've made the way for us to come to you as we are. We want to thank you, God, that in great wisdom, you decided, you chose, that work will be part of our lives forever and that you've given us this magnificent mandate that will not only be good for us, but good for those around us and would be great glory to your name. And I want to pray, Lord, and I want to ask that where we have missed that mandate, where our motivation may be completely different, where we've walked away from what you've called us to, won't you receive our forgiveness this morning and forgive us all? Receive our repentance and forgive us that we've missed the mark so badly. And at the same time, put your spirit in our lives to freshly walk in your ways. And in this area of our lives, to live it out in such a way that glory will flow back to you while other lives are lifted up. I pray for people this morning who are really struggling in their work, where there may be a relational strain, where tensions may be running high, where, boring, uh, where work may have become just a boring chore that we have to do. God, won't you give us fresh eyes to see our work like the centurion? Jesus, won't you? Won't you blow fresh wind in our sails and help us to see what you've really called us to? Not just to work well and excellently, but to serve those around us. I want to pray for my friends here this morning who may not have work, may be struggling to find work. God, only you can open the right doors for them, and we trust you to do that. And we really lift them up to you in this time. Help them to stay encouraged, help them to stay focused, help them to hear your voice amidst all of the pain and the heartache and the frustration that they may go through. And I want to ask, Lord, that you will use all of us wherever we go during the day. If it's the park where other kids and moms are, if it's a boardroom, if it's somewhere in between. Jesus, won't you help us to point people to you? You've asked us to do this. And when we do that, we full of faith that you will do what only you can do. And that is to rescue and save. We pray that this church, Lift Church, already with a young but a rich history, will flourish as more and more people from the outside in are coming and seeing and experiencing the goodness of our God and that many more people will come to know you through what we are giving ourselves to right here and now. Thank you for hearing our prayers this morning, Lord. And we worship you. Amen. Amen.